0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode is going to be an extension of the previous episode that I did, primarily talking about classic vocal bluegrass trios and how to form those harmonies, the lead, tenor, and baritone. You know, in that one I discussed chord inversions and also the various stacking methods of having lead in the middle in the traditional way with tenor on top and baritone below, but I also talked about the high lead and the high baritone stack. So all that stuff is in the previous podcast, but when I was listening back to it before I posted it, because I always, you know, I have to go through the recording of the podcast and then before I put it up, I have to listen to the whole thing just like you do. And of course I'm mostly listening for technical glitches, dropouts, you know, maybe something I said that I intended to edit out and I forgot to. So I have to give the show a complete listen And give it the old thumbs up before I put it out online. And uh, so when I was listening to this, I realized that I could go on much further talking about how to improve a bluegrass band's vocals. And don't get me wrong, I'm not claiming to be a great singer, okay? That's not really what this is about. This is about taking normal average singers and making them sound good. You know, there there are born talents. There are people that just born with a set of pipes. I think people like John Cowan or maybe John Duffy are good examples of this. I'm not talking about those. The bulk of the the great bluegrass bands are full of average people just like you who took the time, went to the trouble to learn some techniques for better singing. And the last episode was really about how to find the notes, how to find your part. You know, it's pretty, pretty basic to find the lead vocalist part. And then if you can get them to iron that down to something that's repeatable, then you can begin to figure out the tenor and the baritones. So that was about figuring out the notes. And and that's the first step. It's sort of like learning your first chord on the guitar. You got to learn where to put your fingers to form, you know, that F major chord. But it's a whole nother ball game to play that chord musically and make it sound good. So finding the notes is just the first step. And it's an important one because if, if you're not finding the correct notes, well, let's just say you need to do that first. You need to sort out the pitches. The pitches, and I'm mostly going to talk about trio harmony here, but it could be duets. You've got to sort out the correct notes first. Once you've got that, it, it's it would be like when my son sits down to work on a piano piece that his piano teacher is is teaching him. And, you know, the first step is to figure out What notes to play when? Then you begin to refine it and try to make it musical. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about some ways of polishing and honing your vocals. So, and before we get into some of the details of how to Improve. Remember, this is assuming you've already figured out your parts. And there are a myriad of ways of, as I talked about in the last episode, of different stacking methods and so on. But let's assume that you've got the basic vocal line for each singer figured out. So I'm going to talk about now, how do you, how do you sing those and make that trio sound as good as it can possibly sound? But before I get into those tips, one of the one of the things I want to uh, suggest to you is one of the difficulties in playing or singing bluegrass is remembering your part. Now, there were there were tunes that we did that, you know, we sang for there, there are certain songs that I sang with Cedar Hill for 25 years. Now, at the 25-year mark, I didn't have any trouble remembering my part. You know, I could just, it just, it came automatically because I, had, I, I memorized my part and how it moved within the arrangement. But on the first week, let's say you just figured out the parts, and then you come back to practice the following week, and you can't remember your part. You've already forgotten it all, or forgotten part of it, or... This person forgot something in theirs, and this person forgot a little bit of theirs, and some, and the lead vocalist changed the vocal a little bit. So how do you remember this stuff? And one of the tricks that I used a lot was to find starting notes on my instrument. So let's say we're singing a chorus to a song, and let's say I'm singing baritone. If I know my starting note, it's hard to remember a pitch just in your head, you know. It's it's a it's a weird thing to just carry around a particular note in your mind. I'm sure there's some people that can do it, and after 25 years, that is what you do. But in the early stages, when you show up for practice the following week, and you're trying to remember what you sang, what I found it was very helpful to me. Once I, once we as a group had sorted out what my part should be, what notes I'm going to sing, I would find them on my mandolin. And I would just, let's say it was, you're doing a chorus and and there were four lines to the chorus and the first line, you know, maybe started, let's say on a D note. Well, I would play the D on the mandolin and my second note might've been an F sharp and I would play that. And so I would sort of play my vocal part on the mandolin. Just little single notes, not a solo or anything. And I found that I could remember that, that little thing I played on the instrument, easier than I could just remember the vocal, the notes vocally in my mind. So it's kind of a crutch. And many times, all I really needed was the starting note of a phrase. Because if you start in the right place, a lot of the rest of it will kind of fall into place because you're hearing the chord and memory will bring back, what you're really remembering is the motion. Once you you start on the starting note of your part, what you're remembering is, okay, how long do I sing that note before I either go up or go down? Or, and come back to that note, and, and how far do you go up or down, you're really remembering kind of a motion. If you drew a line, you know, it'd go up on a higher note, then down, you know, a little stair-step diagram. That's what you carry around in your head. I go up a half-step, then I go up a whole step, and I'm back down to my original note, and I drop a half-step, and then I'm back to the original note. Those little key notes, the start of each phrase you can find those on your instrument. And I found it to be very helpful to when we'd come back the following week and we start to sing the thing. I can't exactly remember where I started. You know, just somebody strums a big G chord. Well, which of those notes is my note? Well, I, I could easily remember, oh yeah, I start on my open D string. So I'd go ding on my string and sing that note. So it's a crutch and i have used it in the real world gigging because once in a while there were some oddball things we used to do this medley that included a beach boys tune and it had some key changes and there was just this weird stuff in this arrangement and i had this we we stacked this chord and i had this one particular note that i had to hit and i found that if in between during the patter, as the song is getting introduced, I would just reach down to my mandolin and play the second fret on the first string. Kind of get that note in my head. Not over the PA. I wasn't doing it for the, just kind of for myself. Just, okay, now I got my note in my mind. And when we'd come in, I could start in the right place, and then the rest of it would fall into line. So you might want to use that little that little trick. Is Everybody in the band is holding an instrument. You can play the, the starting note of each phrase and sort of remember those things. You could potentially even write them down. Like if you're a mandolin player and you read tab, you could tab out your vocal part. That way, when you get home, you can, you can remember it and you can practice it. These are just, you know, tools to ultimately you're going to train your subconscious mind to sing this part without thinking about it. But it's a good way to remember it from one week to the next. And, you know, the lead singer's not usually going to have much trouble because they've got the melody established in their mind. They don't usually have a whole lot of trouble. It'll be the tenor and the baritone that will tend to make errors. So if you jot some of that stuff down, even, let's say you're a banjo player and you just jot it down in banjo tablature. No, just write the tenor part out. You know, then when you come back next week, if the guy is, making some mistakes like going too high, screwing up the baritone singer. You know, you could say, well, I, you know, I wrote this thing down. Let's, let's do it again. Or you may also discover that the lead singer has now changed what they're doing and, and rope them back in. And, and then, you know, eventually after multiple practice sessions of this stuff, everybody will begin to learn their starting and ending notes for each phrase and the motion within the line. But anyway, Remember that you don't just have to do all this stuff in your head. You can use that crutch of finding certain notes on your instrument. Okay, so now it's time to practice the thing. You've got all your notes sorted out, and everybody's got their little methods of remembering the starting note of the very first syllable that they're going to sing together in harmony. The first factor in improving your sound is tuning. Because let's say the band is going to sing a G chord on the starting syllable of the chorus of a song. You got somebody singing G, somebody singing a B, and somebody singing a D. Well, they need to be sung in tune. It's just like if I take your guitar and I slightly put it out of tune and you grab a G chord and hit it, It's not going to sound as good because the notes aren't in tune. Okay, so pitch and tuning is one of the ways that you can improve your singing. Sing in tune. Now, like I mentioned about the instruments, you can use your instruments as a reference to your tuning. So let's say you're going along singing on a, on a, on a, High G note. Well, if you're the manual player, you got a high G on your first string, third fret, bing, you hit that G, and then that tells you what what pitch you should sing. Now, of course, you have to tune with each other, but you also have to stay in tune with your instrument. So, all I'm really going to say, I'm not going to tell you a lot about how to sing in tune. What I am going to say is be aware of your tuning. If your singing is out of tune, you won't sound as good. I mean that's pretty logical, right? The only one little tip I will give you is that if you are approaching the upper limit of your vocal range, and that's that's very common sometimes because I was a baritone singer, and I tended to sing in the middle to lower ranges, and I could even sing bass on those tunes when if the song was up in the key of B, I was a pretty good bass singer in the key of B. But, and so it wasn't a whole lot of difficulty to correctly tune up in my natural range, but sometimes songs would go high, you know, and I'd be up there, you know, stretching my limit. So how do you get those notes in tune? And back when I joined Cedar Hill in 1983, our fiddle player, I give a, a great deal of credit to him for teaching the rest of us a little bit about singing the te- the techniques of singing, because at that time he was a high school chorus director at a local high school, Marietta high school in near Atlanta. The guy's name is Jeff Johnson. He was our fiddle player. So he would he would straighten us out on this stuff, and, you know. And a lot of what I'm telling you and what I told you in the last episode are things he told us way back then in 1983. But he had been trained, you know, in choral singing, you know, the real stuff, the real proper, you know. Stuff. But he gave us a few tips because you know sometimes a song a singer would get into that zone where they're beginning to push their upper limit and tending to sing flat. And he he told us something that seemed kind of silly. I used to see him do this all the time at gigs and I just thought he was goofy. But you know, if he, like if he noticed me and I my baritone line had gotten pretty high and I'm I'm definitely slightly flat on him, he said just raise your eyebrows up, just like, like that look of surprise. Raise your eyebrows up and perhaps even put on a bit of a smile. If you raise your eyebrows, it will raise the pitch of your voice. And it actually works. If, if you're tiptoe at the top of your range and you need to tune her up a bit, raising your eyebrows will pull the pitch up. He proved that to us. And I, I just thought he was making faces at the girls in the audience and being silly. But it really does work. So that that's just one thing. I mean what I'm saying is there are there are experts in singing technique. And he certainly is one and he is he moved on to after several moves around the country after he left the band, he became the choral director at the University of Kentucky, where I think he is still there. As their choral director, the guy knew a lot about singing. So that was one little tip he gave. I'm, what I'm saying is, even though you may be a bluegrass singer and you think it's all just, you know, homegrown and and handmade type of thing. there are, There are people out there that know an awful lot about singing. And you can gain something from these people and their knowledge and improve your singing. I mean, you know, listen to the Stanley Brothers. I love the Stanley brothers, but then compare that to Doyle Lawson and the many groups he's had. Doyle's got it polished. You know, he's got it down. Everything I'm going to talk about in this episode, they do. And, and more. Now it helps to start with good talent. I mean, if if you've got talented singers capable of singing in tune, that helps, you know, but anyway, so enough about tuning. Just remember that if your instrument's out of tune, you're not going to sound that good on your instrument. Same goes for the voices. You're building chords, and your voices need to be in tune. So think about tuning, you know. Maybe, um, you know, once you've learned your baritone part, sing it with your tuner. You know, turn on your little Korg CA-30 or some kind of a tuner and sing your part and see if they're in tune. You know what I'm saying? It'll only make you a better singer. Okay, next item. And this is a a common shortcoming that you see in jams and in people that don't put a lot of care into their singing, and that is matching rhythms. You know, the way the lead singer is singing his line is the way the harmony singer should sing the line. And, you know, some singers got a little bit of soul in them, you know, and they got a little, they got a way of delivering a line that sounds good. And if you're harmonizing with that lead singer, you need to get in there and feel that exact same rhythm. There are probably a thousand possible ways to sing the opening line of Sitting on Top of the World or Old Home Place. Now, it is imperative that the lead singer understand that he has a part in this too, because if he's constantly changing what he does, he or she, he's just fouling up things. You know, if you sing it on Monday this way and Tuesday a different way, how do you expect your, your guys to, you know, be lockstep with you? So the lead singer has a lot of freedom but has a responsibility to, to be consistent. So it doesn't matter how hot they're singing. They need to be consistently hot. And by the way, this can vary from from one chorus to the next. There, there are instances where we had arrangements where the first chorus and the second chorus were essential, essentially copies of each other. But the third chorus and the, the second half of the third chorus, something different was done. To maybe make it a little more powerful or energetic or interesting. Maybe, you know, the, the lead line was altered a little bit in that to give it more punch. And so you had to remember kind of two versions of it. And when you got to the last chorus, we were singing it slightly different. So that's very important. Match your rhythms. So you got to get that lead singer singing consistent. Now on the verses, he can go as wild as he wants to. You can sing like Willie Nelson and just like monkey with the rhythms and stuff. But when it comes time to the chorus, it's okay to have oddball rhythms and stuff, but you need to be consistent or you just, you know, throwing barrel hoops in front of your baritone and your tenor singer. Uh, Speaking of barrel barrel hoops, I don't know if you remember that old episode of Leave It to Beaver. I think it was Leave It to Beaver. might have been... Yeah, I think it was Leave it to Beaver where they they took a bunch of barrel hoops and put them in uh, Mr. Rutherford's driveway so that when he came out in the morning all groggy to get his paper, he would step on the barrel hoops and they'd hit him in the shins and stuff. I think that was where it came from. That's what I mean when I say throwing barrel hoops out there. The other thing that goes along with matching rhythms is you need to match the exact lyrics, And that means the harmony singers need to sing it, sing the words the way the lead singer sings them. If you're saying the word um, going, if the lead singer is saying, I'm going down that road, going down that road feeling bad, then the baritone singer doesn't need to sing going. He needs to sing going. You know, you need to put in the accents and the colloquialisms of the lead singer. If it's going down that road feeling bad. Just sing going down that road feeling bad. If he's singing going down that road feeling bad. Well maybe you picked the wrong lead singer. But um, if it's going. Okay everybody sing going. You know, I'm not saying you need to place overemphasis on perfect diction and pronunciation. But just be aware of it. You know, if you if you listen back to a tape of your group and you got half the band going, I'm going, and the other half is going, I'm going, fix it. Just pick one and go with it. It doesn't matter which. If you say going, you're gonna sound like you're from Minnesota. If you say going, you're gonna sound like you're from Georgia. But pick one, you know? We had a, there was a time in Pony Express when our banjo player, this is the one of the older versions of Pony Express, back about nineteen eighty two. And our banjo player suddenly got a heavy dose of religion and decided to go off and be a missionary in South Africa and quit the band. Just like, bam, he quit the band. Old Banjo Graves. I I talked to him via email just about a week ago, a couple weeks ago. Still in touch with him. But man, he, he split. So suddenly Pony Express had no banjo player. And I was, you know, I was always a closet banjo player and I, always wanted to be the banjo player. Well, this is my opportunity. So I told the rest of the guys, look, I will switch to banjo and we'll just find a mandolin player. Cause I'd only been playing mandolin for a couple of years at that point. And now's my chance, you know? So we auditioned a, a couple of mandolin players around Atlanta that were, you know, floating around out there and available. And, and, and Bob, if you're listening to this, um, I don't mean this in, as in any insulting way. I'm just going to tell what, what happened here. There's a guy in Atlanta named Bob Nyes. He moved down to Atlanta from Chicago. And just Chicago accents and Georgia accents are a little different. You know, they are. You know, Chicago. Chicago Bob. Anyway, Bob just moved down here. Great man on player. Good tenor singer. Really knew his bluegrass stuff. Um, and he is now presently uh, like the first mandolinist and the head knocker of uh, the the Atlanta Mandolin Orchestra, which I was in for a while, too. I've known Bob since the very close to the day he moved to Atlanta. And uh, anyway, so Bob was fresh into town and he he had a lot of that Chicago accent. He came down. He played with us. And. Buddy Ashmore, on the other hand, you know, he grew up there in Mountain View, Georgia, and uh, of course I was singing baritone. I had that Georgia accent, and Buddy had that Georgia accent, and we had uh, Mike Estes on fiddle and Ed Davis. These all Georgia boys, and and Bob comes down, and Bob did a great job. He, you know, he singing, uh, you know, just singing all our stuff, and it. I don't know, just at the, at the end of the thing, we are just like, I don't know, though. It just doesn't sound, something doesn't sound right. And, and no hard feelings, Bob. I You know, it was just like there wasn't a match. There wasn't a match. It's like if you compare the Gibson Brothers sound to, um, I don't know, to Junior Sisk or to, you know, you can hear regional differences in the way people approach their singing. Of course, Bob's been down here in Georgia for a long time. And maybe, you know, some of some of our uh, southern dialect and lingo is probably rubbed off on Bob over the years. Uh, But anyway, I just remember us talking about that and going, I don't know. It just it it sounds great, but it just it it doesn't really match with buddy, you know. (laughs) Anyway, so we we just kind of drift along there. Bob did play some gigs with us and. And the band gradually kind of fell apart, and I ended up going to Cedar Hill. But anyway, what I'm saying is, when you know, just because you're singing great and singing the correct notes in tune and even matching the rhythms, there's also something about matching up, you know, sort of accent and the way you, you know, it get, kind of goes to this brother harmony and familial blending that is. Talked about so much about the Carter family and the Stanley brothers and even to the Monroe brothers and stuff that, you know, people that grew up in the same household or grew up in the same side of a mountain or in the same county tended to talk alike. So that that helped them sing alike. So anyway, that's the thing that you can use to improve. Once you got your notes sorted out and once you figured out how to sing in tune, match your rhythms and the exact way the lyrics are spoken. You know, get your goings and goings sorted out. All right, the next thing is if you've ever looked at a, a, a recording waveform, and today when you're recording, you can see the waveform on the computer screen. You can see, let's say you just plunked a note on a, on a guitar or bass or something and recorded it, what you would see is the attack of the note, and then you would see the swell of the note, and then you would see the, the uh, as the ending of the note comes, you'll see the sustain, and ultimately the end of the note. So it's it's sort of called an envelope, and when you talk about things like uh, gizmos like compressors and limiters, things like that. The settings on those machines involve how you manipulate the attack and the sustain and so on. But when you're singing and you sing a note, there's not much you can do about your banjo. You plunk your banjo string, you don't have a whole heck of a lot of control over those things. The instrument is creating You know, what kind of attack a note produces on a banjo compared to a bass or a fiddle? I mean, a fiddle. Talk about its sustain. How long can you drag the bow, you know? But what happens when you lift the bow? How long does the note sustain? Not much you can do about it with the instruments. And if you start monkeying around with them, they don't sound like, like those instruments anymore. That's why electric banjos don't sound like real banjos, you know? That's why your plugged-in mandolin with your Fishman transducer doesn't sound the same as the same instrument played over a good microphone. They don't sound the same because that, that sound envelope of each note is being modified. So what's this got to do with singing? Well, assuming you're in tune, and assuming you've matched up your rhythms, you all got the same rhythmic feel, hopefully a good one, and you've got your your wording and kind of dialect stuff aligned, then you need to work on the attacks. And I call this consonant alignment. You know, in your alphabet, you've got your vowels and your consonants. Your vowels are sort of those, when you're singing an, an A, it's ah, and it goes on and on and on. And you can hold it for a long time. But your D's, your Ts, your P's, even M's, N's, at, you know, any consonant is kind of has a definite starting point. Well that's how your many of the lyrics that you sing start. You know, was in the spring, you know, that spring sound S, S P pam, you know, it's you want those lined up. If your consonants are not aligned, you're not going to sound as good as if they are. That's what I'm saying here. When you listen to Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver singing one of those fabulous quartets or something, you're going to hear consonant alignment. You know, if I say sit, sit, let me think of a good word here. Well, sitting, 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 which we generally sing like, like it has a D in the middle instead of a T. We don't say sitting on top of the world. We say sitting. Well, that sitting, the S is, needs to be together and the T needs to be together. If these are out of alignment, you won't sound as good as if they are in alignment. So all it really takes is when you, when you rehearse this stuff, it is matching the rhythm very carefully so that All of your lips, every time your lips close or your tongue hits the top of the roof of your mouth to make like like a D, a D sound, you know, like, oh, death, you know, when you hit the D of death, they all need to be together. If you're trying to sing harmony, you want your consonants aligned. If you had a recording of you and you slowed it way down, you might hear D, D, D. -d 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 Because the baritone might hit first, then the lead, then the turner. You want da, all together, da. And what you can do when you're practicing, if you all face each other, is watch each other's lips. When your lips close, everybody's lips should close. When they open, they should open. You can't do much about seeing what the tongue's busy doing in there. But you can hear it. You can hear ta, ta, you know. Put them T's together. Put them D's together. And so on. Especially what I'd call the hard consonants. The ones that have a real sharp attack. Um, And it's tough. But just if you think about it, you can certainly improve your consonant alignment of the attack of each syllable. And that will make the rhythm that you're doing together more accurate. Okay, next thing is tonal blending. And what I was talking about, about Bob Nye's, that's what I'm talking about. Tonal blending. Although there I was sort of talking about, you know, accent. The the way somebody from Georgia sings an A, you know, let's say, well, the way we pronounce vowels. It's why people sound different around the world. Why you hear somebody from Australia and you go, yeah, that dude's from Australia or England, or France, or Canada, or, you know, some Cajun, or some hillbilly from Tennessee, or some steelworker from Ohio. People sound different. But to get really good harmonies, you got to match those sounds up. So you might have to alter your own accents, you know, the the way, you know, if you're in Buffalo, New York, I'm telling you what, people from Buffalo don't sound like people from Missouri. 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 I'm not from Missouri. Missouri. I never knew which it was. If you're from Missouri, send me an email and tell me. Anyway, they sound different. They sound different. You got to get them together. But you also have to blend the tonal qualities. And I'm going to give you a really bad example. I mean, you can... You can make something sound very round and fat, or you can make it nasal, and it's the same note, but they have different tonal qualities. I mean, I could talk like this right here, you know, or I could talk like this right here. Those are tonal differences. And just in general, you want to match the tonal qualities. Especially in that trio singing. And if you're one of those strident lead singers who's got that kind of, you know, going on, maybe you need to tone that down when it comes time for the chorus and just be a little more round sounding with your, with your vocal during the harmonizing. And I think this is especially important for baritone singers to get a nice round, almost invisible sound that is felt as much as it's heard, that if you're sticking out as a baritone singer, if it's easy to hear the baritone guy, he's probably pinching his voice, you know, a little bit. Get it good and round and just, just fill in that hole, you know. That's how you sing that baritone stuff. It's hard to pull baritones out of a mix when you're listening to them because you're naturally following the, the lead in your mind. And then that tenor, being up high, tends to stick out a little more. But even the tenor should try to blend tonally with the lead singer. Just think about what the lead singer is doing. Hear where it falls in the tone range. You know, is it trebly and pinched and harsh and, you know, strident? Or is it fat, round, big, you know, whatever, you know... Find something that you all agree on and make the match. What you want is are all three notes of the trio being heard, but none of them standing out too much. You know? Now the lead could be a little bit more present and certainly because of the high lonesome sound of bluegrass, the tenor. The tenor and the lead can be a bit more present, but that baritone is filling in that hole. If the baritone's mic suddenly goes off, you should feel a difference. It's almost like when the guitar, it's like the guitar players role in the rhythm section. A lot of times you don't really hear them, but boy, you hear them when they're not there. You hear their absence. It's that same tonal idea. So just think about tonal blending. You got your notes great. You got your tuning great. And you're matching up your rhythms and you've come to some happy agreement on how you're going to get your accents and how you're going to actually say certain words. You know, you're going to use the flat A on it, you know. Then you start just trying to blend tonally. Okay, now the next thing is something also that is overlooked a lot. And that is the decay of the note, the duration of a note and the end of that note. How do you end the note you're singing as you're coming to the end of a phrase and you've sung this phrase beautifully and you get to that note where it holds, you know, like, you know, was in a spring on sunny day. And when you get to day, how long does that day last? Just make them all the same. That's all I'm saying. If you hold your note longer than the other two people in the trio it's gonna sound funky and you know if you went to a jam session local jam session and could make a decent recording of the singing and listen you'd hear all these things i'm talking about being done not so great you know but if you hear a band that has been playing together for 15 years and they sound really good. And they're out in the parking lot jamming and you record it and listen to it very carefully. You'd hear all these things are happening quite nicely. So you got to think about the beginning of the note and the end of the note. How long do you hold it out? How do you, how long do you extend that note and how do you taper it off and how do you stop? And it's particularly tricky on, on words at the end of a line that have a hard consonant at the end. If a, if a word in a song ends on a consonant, like ends on a T, is everybody going to go together? And sometimes the solution for that is for the, only the lead singer to sing that consonant and the baritone and the tenor to just kind of lay off and lighten off. Don't actually hit that consonant very hard. So there's only one t- at the end of the word. Cedar Hill used to make a big joke of this in in one of the songs we did. We used to sing, um, he done, she done stomped on my heart and no, and mash that sucker flat. Big hit. We did in every show comedy tune and, The last line of the song, the last word of the song, we would hold out the word heart. You done stomped on my heart. And we'd hold this chord, this beautiful chord out on heart. But we got to say the T at the end. The T, or it ain't heart, it's just heart. So we would hold and hold, and as for comedy effect, we would hold and hold and hold and hold and hold and hold and hold, and then all together, really loudly, go, t-, all together. And it was funny, it, it got a laugh, because, you know, the note had held for multiple seconds. And people think it's over, and then the little t, and it would always get a laugh to hear that. But... It was tough to nail that thing where we all did it together. Anyway, that's an extreme example. I may have a tape of that. If I have a tape of that, I may just stick that at the end of this show. If I can find it, surely I have a recording of us doing that. Anyway, after you've got your durations and your endings similar, the more similar they are, the better you'll sound. Uh, Another thing to consider are, what do you do with lead-in phrases? And when I was listening back to the episode before, uh, hearing uh, Blue-Eyed Boston Boy, what they were doing in there with the lead-ins is a very common technique. And the line, for example, and it happens throughout the stuff, is the lead singer sings, He was just a blue-eyed Boston boy. He was just a blue-eyed. The band, the harmony singers, just came in on the word just. So if you listen to it, you hear the lead alone going, he was, and then all together they go, just a blue. That's a common technique. And the band, the singers all come in on that downbeat together, and it kind of adds a little rhythmic punch to it. It also simplifies the singing, because you don't have to worry about harmonizing those lead-in notes, and oftentimes they're coming off a different chord. You know, it might be from a D chord to a G, and that the he was is really on a D. And if it's a couple of notes, you know, like uh, let's say I'm sitting, t- sitting on top of the world, it might be, you know, it was in the spring, and the whole band comes in on spring. Well, that's I'm not saying one way or the other is correct. The whole band could sing in harmony, it was in the spring that's that's okay it's your decision as an artist you know you can pick either one it's simpler to let the lead singer sing those lead in phrases and then the the group come in singing the harmonies on on the first downbeat you know everybody comes in on spring was in the spring and that gives the lead singer a bit of freedom too cuz he can modify the way he does those lead in notes but it can also be very powerful for the band to sing those lead-ins in harmony accurately together. Because sometimes it's weird when there's this increase in volume as the harmony singers come in and you hear, spring, one sunny day. Because the line isn't spring, one sunny day. It was, you know, it was. You follow me? So it's, sometimes it sounds like the lead-ins are dropped out So. You make your own decision there. You're going to sing the lead ins together. If so, take the time to carefully harmonize them correctly and sing them in time, correct rhythm, all that stuff. You, you know, it just adds a little more to your pile. But if you leave them out, that's a very common way of dealing with these things too. You know, the band, the the harmonizers just come in. You know, at a certain phrase. But make a decision about that because if you know, if the tenor is harmonizing the lead-in, but the baritone's not, you know, or sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, and, you know, just, just make a decision about the lead-in syllables to every phrase. You know, are we harmonizing them or are we not? Really doesn't matter which you do. Just whichever you choose, try to do it well. I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I said in the last podcast that good singing puts you a rung or two above you know on that ladder of greatness and it is so true you can take a funky sounding band that is just not you know they're okay you know they're all right give me two weeks with them and let's work on about five songs and just work on the singing and if the singing gets better man they're a better sounding band and and You know, a lot of people just have the attitude, well, I just want to pick, I just want to jam, and blah, 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 and they don't really care. You know, if that's you, that's okay. That's all right, but, you know, don't put that stuff on stage, you know. It's just funky, and, and, you know, it doesn't show any pride in your work. Take a little pride in your work. It's like the guitar builder who very carefully, very carefully sands the, the braces on the inside of the guitar top that you will never see, and no one will ever see. But he sees it. He sees it when he's building the guitar. And he's like, I don't you know, I can't take pride in my work unless this thing is done right, you know. So take a little pride in your work and your performance will ultimately be much better. And and you will enjoy it a lot more. It's a lot more fun to sing a sing a song, even if you're just a lowly baritone singer or whatever. And have it come out sounding really, really good. I mean, man, that is better than any drug. So consider the value of putting the effort into your singing. So that's enough for singing for the time being. Going to close out by saying thank you to everyone who supports the show through the various means I've talked about. Scope out all the free stuff at BradleyLaird.com. And of course, as you wade around through all that stuff, you're going to find the various products that I offer. And if they're useful to you, grab them, use them that purchase supports this podcast and keeps it going, keeps me going. And of course there's the grass talk radio supporter thing, which is sort of a, like just, you know, you you just send whatever amount you want. I send you a little PDF with a joke in it and it's, it's just something, you know, and, Tell other people about the show, you know. If you're tight for money, you know, you you can't use that as an excuse not to tell somebody about it, you know. And you can always print out the little mini flyer. Anyway, y'all have a good week and work on that singing. It makes a big diff. Talk to y'all later. Thank you very much. And now, for your listening displeasure, and and I'm still not sure this is a good idea that we do this song, Jimmy, because... These people look like they're having a good time. We're just getting it going. What are we about to do? Bring them down. This song is very likely the saddest song ever written. You know, years ago I used to think, why wow, that's just some song, and then it happened to me. Oh, so now, a really sad song. This song is really a sad song. Why, Fred, this song is sad enough to bring tears to a glass eye. That's pretty sad. That's almost as sad as that joke. Sunday, little whirlwind. You get them low-down blues. In some lonesome concert in the Buckley's Theater in Macon, Georgia, you look down at your shoes. You'll think about that song. Whose heart you crushed beneath them souls. Tossed with your glow by stupid stompers.